0: Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn But also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers in order that you become a light in your homes in your schools in your workplaces and even in your local church body let us be radically in love with jesus and radically in love with his people once again i just thank you for listening and may god bless you abundantly all right so we're back in hebrews we spent three weeks in chapter 11 so um, it feels like we've been here and it's time to move on, but we've been in chapter, now chapter 11 is what is known as the hall of fame of faith, right? Like we, we think of chapter 11 and we think of this chapter where it's all about the faith of these men and women, these, these mighty powerful acts of faith by all of these men and women of the Old Testament. And that's what chapter 11, it's a hall of faith. Um, but it's kind of cool what the author's doing, because basically, what is he doing? He's, he's In chapter 11, it's a walk of faith. Chapter 12 is the wisdom of hope, and chapter 13 is the way of love. Now, what is that? Faith, hope, and love. Isn't that cool? It's cool how, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians, if you're not familiar in 1 Corinthians, Paul says the greatest attributes of the Christian walk is faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is? love. And, and so many people say, "Well, I I really believe this this is Paul, right? Paul wrote Hebrews because it seems like he's kind of, you know, some, pushing his little his his doctrine, not his doctrine, but his kind of flow into the book of Hebrews." And I'm I, and I started off this this series saying there's no way it's not Paul. It, you know, there's no way it's happening. And now I'm like maybe, all right? Maybe it's Paul because it seems like he's putting a lot of stuff in there. But Real quick, we're going to jump back into chapter 11 Um, real quick if you remember, we're talking to people who are at risk of going back because they're terrified of losing everything. They're terrified of their families outcasting them for the sake of Jesus. So they're so they're tempted to look back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. I don't want to be persecuted for my faith. I don't want to die for Jesus. I don't want to lose my my whole life for the name of Jesus. So they're tempted to look back and the author is talking to them and saying look, don't worry about it. Put your faith in Jesus because you're not going to regret it everything anything you lose on this earth that for the name of Jesus I promise you you're going to get back in, in in tenfold in the name of Jesus like for all of eternity you will be in the presence of your creator do not forsake the name of Jesus and so the author is finally gets to chapter 11 and he's been encouraging them warning them pushing them, exhorting them, and then he gets to the faith chapter. Now he's encouraging them by saying, look at the Old Testament saints. Look at their faith in God. Look at what God did through them. Continue to push forward, and he's encouraging them in faith. The Bible says the only way to please God is through faith. Faith. The only way to please God is through faith. Notice what it does not say there. It does not say the only way to please God is through tithe and offering. The only way to please God is through singing a song on a Sunday morning. The the only way to please God is the command, to obey the command of niceness, right? That's the 11th command that we Christians like to believe in. Just be nice to everybody and then you'll go to heaven, right? Like that's the command of niceness. No, it says the only way to please God is through faith. It's through faith. And so we saw that the beginning of the foundation of faith is is what? Is that you have to believe that God created everything through his word. Look, you're not going to believe that God could part the Red Sea if you don't believe that God created the Red Sea. Like, you're not going to believe that God could raise the the dead if if you don't believe that God originally created the person to begin with. Like in order to to actually live a life, to stand on the morality of God and be willing to do that, even though your flesh wants to go against God's commands, the only way that you're going to be willing to stand for what God says is to believe and trust that God knows your body, knows you, knows what's best for you because he created you and he created you with a purpose and he loves you. If you don't start there, you are not going to move forward. So we've got to start with that. But then the author goes into, and he's kind of walking through faith, and he's talking about the different steps and different walks of faith. And he says, man, God, sometimes God is performing miracle after miracle through the acts of faith, right? God performed miracle through Noah, performed miracle through Moses, through Enoch, all these miracles. But then we're going to see this morning, sometimes God doesn't, right? And this is one of those, those sermons that were like, I don't like that, right? Sometimes God does. Sometimes he parts the sea, but sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes God doesn't do the miracles. It doesn't mean God doesn't come through. Because God's always working for our good and for his glory, right? It doesn't mean God doesn't come through. It just doesn't mean it means that he's not going to part the Red Sea or do the thing that we think he should do the way that he think, we think he should do it. But God is always operating. That's what we're going to see this morning. So real quick, last week we saw Abel. We saw Enoch. We saw Noah. We saw Abraham. We started with Abraham. We're going to finish with Abraham. We're going to move forward. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It'll be on the screen as well. By faith, Abraham obeyed. We're going to go, kind of go back a little bit, recap a little bit. Oh, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as the inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Okay, so... He says, Abraham, by faith, God called him, said, Abraham, get up, go. Get up and go. Right? Remember, remember, Abraham was a pagan. He was an idolater. He didn't, he didn't believe in God. God just said, Hey, Abraham, get up, go, leave the earth of the Chaldees, get up and leave. And Abraham said, Okay. Right? Like, okay, let's do it. Where are we going? Doesn't matter. Just go. Okay. Right? Just go. And because this this takes some right, we saw this. This takes some radical faith. But it was that willingness that we're going to see of Abraham, that willingness to always get up and go. The willingness, whatever God says at any given time, Abraham's ready to move. Because that is something that we've got to start thinking about. Kind of recapping last week. This is something that at any given moment, God could call you to get up and go. Are you ready for it? Now I'm not talking about any given moment, God's going to call you to leave your home and leave your house and go live somewhere else. Maybe. But any given on the way home today, you could be driving, Right? And you got a reservation at a, at a, at a restaurant, but you could be driving and you see somebody parked on the side of the road who needs help. God may say, stop, call, go talk to them, go love on them, go offer whatever you can for them, give them a ride, give them money, whatever you can do. But God, I've got a reservation. It's at, it's at 12 at Shoney's. It doesn't matter. Shoney's doesn't take reservations, but it doesn't matter. At any given moment, we've got to be ready that God's calling us, God's moving, get up and go. When you're at the grocery store, are you thinking to yourself, and I'm I'm, I'm talking, this is repentance time for David. Um, you know, the, the good thing about the mask is that, I, you know, I could put on the mask and say, oh, I didn't recognize you, and just walk away. Like at the grocery store. Like I've seen some of y'all at the grocery store, but I'm in a rush. I'm like, you know, and I'm bouncing around aisles. So like, oh, he's down the pizza aisle. I got to get a pizza, you know. And so I throw something to distract you. I mean, it's just, but... Honestly, when you're at the grocery store, are you thinking, God, what are you doing here? Are you ready? Are you ready for any moment? God to say, stop. I want you to go pray for that person. I want you to go love on that person. I want you to go pay for that post- person's groceries. But God, but I don't know if I have enough money to pay for their groceries and my groceries. You know, I, you know, what do you got in your basket? I just got pizza and garbage and junk that I don't really need, but it's, I really want. I, it doesn't matter. Give it up. Listen, God's the God's going to call you. And see, what does it say? Abraham got up and go, but it says that he did not see the end. The Bible actually says that he saw the promises being far off. Now listen, this is hard. It is hard to step out on faith when you do not see the blessings of your faith or the harvest of your faith. Does that make sense? Like, it's hard to sit in the desert when you don't get to see the, the, the actual result of your faith. Like, there have been many times where I've done things in ministry, I've stepped out on faith, and I'm like, God, what do you do? I've started Bible studies where in my mind, I'm like, this is going to be killing it, like rocking it, and there's like two people there. I know God called me to start the Bible study, and I'm like, where's the harvest, you know? And you just sit there and it takes, but you've got to keep your eyes like Abraham, keep your eyes on eternity because you're not going to remain faithful if you're only looking at two people after 12 hours to 20 hours of preparation time for a Bible study, right? Even when we start in this church, you know, like I, when, I, when I left uh, my last job, I left Long Chapel as a worship leader. I left and I didn't have any, I knew God called me to do ministry at some point to start a church, to be a pastor. I just knew God told me to, to quit the job. And I sat and I went to be a waiter. And I'm like, God, this is not what I was called. Like, I'm your chosen, right? I'm serving food you know, like, I'm just, woe is me, moping, like, I'm sitting here, and, I, and what I learned, though, is God is working in that, but it was in that desert, God was moving, God was teaching me a lot of humility and grace of, of who I am, and the arrogant person that I used to be, and the prideful person I used to be, and some of y'all thinking, you used to be, yes, if you knew me then, you would be, but praise God, okay, um, even starting this church, though, when we started this church, like you hear these stories of these pastors who, oh, we stepped out on faith, and we started with 12 people, and then it, the next week, week two, was 100 people, and, and then week three, man, it was like 600. Now we're two years in, and a 1,000 people worship. praise God, we stepped out on faith, and I'm like, yes, God, I stepped out on faith. So we stepped out on faith, and we started a church in a carport with 12 people, and then week two, we had 12 people. Week three, we had 10 people. One of the families was out. <laughs> it was like, where's the blessing, God? I'm in the desert. I don't see the promises, but, it, but it's that idea. And you're tempted to look around in the desert, to look around. But Abraham, it, he said, it said, he kept his eyes on a city whose maker and builder was God. Abraham wasn't looking at the desert. He wasn't looking at here and now. The, 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 he's not receiving. He's not seeking to receive the blessing of his faith here. He's looking ahead. He's looking ahead. And here's the thing. When God calls, you know, this is one of those things with Abraham. I, this is a long recap, but, you know, I'm going to go with it. Um When God called Abraham, he said, God said, I want you to pick up and take your wife, your sheep, your whole life, your livelihood, your wife, your, your spouse, who's older, and I want you to just pack up and go. You know, here's the thing. When God calls us to go somewhere, I remember when I was younger, before I got married, I, I was like everywhere. I did a lot of things. I got, you know, a lot of mission trips out of the country, in the country, the inner city. I slept on the streets of Atlanta, you know, trying to see what it's like to be homeless, to, to do ministry that way. And, um, you know, went to England and, and I had all these visions. And it's, I remember people told me when I got married, David, when you get married, you got to settle down. All right? You can't do that stuff anymore. You can't. You've got to play. You got to keep safe. Right? You, got, you got a spouse. now. You got a wife now. And I'll tell you, uh, and now that I have two kids, and people are like, David, you, you can't. You got two kids. And, and I'll tell you, I, I call bull on that. All right, I'm going to call bull on that. I still believe there's going to be a time if the Lord tarries. I don't believe he's going to tarry. But if he does tarry, I still believe God's going to call me to the Middle East sometime. I mean, I've had visions and dreams of me pr- baptizing people in the River Jordan, Muslims. I believe God's going to take. But you can't take your kids to the Middle East. They're white, right? They're white. They're, they can't survive this may shock you. This may blow you away. But listen, God is not shocked that you have kids. God's not shocked that you have a wife. David, I want you to go to the Middle East. But God, I've got a wife and kids. Oh, yeah. I'll Just stay where you are. You're fine there, okay? You, I forgot. I forgot about your wife. Because if God calls you to pick up, go. God calls you to go do this. God calls you to do something. Like today, as you're driving, God will give you not only the resources, but here's, listen to this. God loves your spouse and your kids more than you do. All right. Abraham, get up and go. Abraham does. What a a stud. Abraham, Abraham. by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as, the, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him in the same promise. For he waited for the city, which foundation, whose builder and maker is God. That's what we just talked about. Abraham goes out now, so he says, go out and live in tents. Imagine this. God says, hey, I want you to leave your house, leave your family, leave your house, leave everything, and go live in a tent. In the-. Some of y'all are like, that's my, that's my jam. Like, that's what I would love to do. Like, my wife, I think she would like that. Um, but you know what? I was thinking about it this week. I don't think Savannah likes camping, I think she just likes s'mores. I think (laughs) that's really what it is. It's not the camping, it's the s'mores that she gets. Abraham, get up and go, live in a tent, go from place to place to place to place. And it said his eyes were not on the desert. Once again, his eyes were on the city. whose maker and builder is God. His architect is God. God, Abraham's eyes were on eternity, which helped him get through the desert because he wasn't looking for the blessing. Guys, here's the beautiful thing. We have this city even more clear in our perspective because we have Revelation that says, it describes the city, the new Jerusalem that Abraham was getting a fade, like a small glimpse of. We get to see the city in Revelation. We get to see the foundation. We get to see the walls. We get to see the doors. We get to see the colors, the diamonds, the rubies, the emeralds, the jazfire, the jazfire, sapphire, jasper. We get to see that because God explains it to us. God describes it to us. Abraham didn't get to see all that. He got an image, a glimpse, and it motivated him to go by faith. This is all recap. Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars in the sky and in multitude innumerable as the sand in the seashore. Then these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced uh, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So it says that Abraham, Father Abraham, he was a pilgrim notice what it doesn't say it doesn't call abraham a nomad it doesn't call him a a, a a gypsy it doesn't call him a vagabond a nomad or gypsy the vagabond what who what that is is that those are the people that are just wandering around aimlessly with no direction right If you're a nomad, you have no goal. You're just, hey, let's just go and be out in the middle of nowhere and just travel from place to place. No goal, no home, no direction, no purpose. Just got that little stick on your back and a little bag, you know, like the old, old cartoons. That is you. You are a gypsy. You are a nomad. That's not what it says about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It says that they were pilgrims. A pilgrim says, I'm headed this way. I'm headed towards a home, a future home. Just like when our pilgrims, they came with the funny hats and stuff and pants. They came here. They were pilgrims because they were headed to a home, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were headed to a place as a pilgrim. Guys, we are pilgrims. Just as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had a purpose. They had uh, intention. They weren't just wandering around. We are pilgrims in a foreign place. You hear me? If you follow Christ, I've said this a hundred times. I'm going to say it again. This isn't your home. You're a pilgrim. You are headed to your home. Your direction is the home. You're operating. Everything you do is for the direction of eternity, right? The city who's maker and builder. But this is not your home. Now, here's the thing. You will be seen as strange if you are a believer of Christ. This is not your home. You're going to be seen as strange if you're a pilgrim and you're following Jesus. But listen, you don't have to be if you don't want to be. You could actually fit in. You know that? If you want to be a Christian, quote unquote, will you come to church occasionally? Even every week if you want. Come to church, right? And you you kind of, you know, one of those, you don't have, you don't live out your faith. It's just kind of more of a thing you do, not a, not every aspect of your life as far as changing you. You're not living to walk in faith and boldness. You're not changing your life based on the moral compass of God, the commands of God. You're not following Jesus. You're just kind of living for your life. You're, you're one of those Christians that kind of make the statements like, well, you know, leave all, all religions leave the same, you know, but I'm a Christian. I just so happen to believe in Jesus. You believe in Islam. You believe in Muhammad. You believe in uh, Buddha. You believe in uh, whatever and, and Krishna. And, um, and it's, it's okay. You believe you. well, I believe, I do me and, and kind of have that nonchalant, lukewarm Christianity in the, in the Bible belt. Y'all, you could be a Christian and you're not strange right you could be a christian and you're not a pilgrim you're home you could label yourself as a christian operate in the in the in the kind of the southern things south you know and you're home but the bible says that we are all aliens pilgrims listen when you operate now jesus is your life when you actually operate with your bank bank, uh, bank account as it's owned by jesus that you start to give randomly crazy amounts of money to different people to different that makes no sense like random stuff when you sell your house because you want to downsize so that you can have more money and more resources to get out of debt and more resources to help other people when you start to go and pray for people on the streets when you go to your work and you start bible studies when you're one of those weird christians that actually has fellowship with other believers you know that actually loves the church that actually wants to be a part of the church you know when you're one of those when you start living that way and your life is started to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ then all of a sudden, you're strange, you're weird, and you're different. But my my biggest fear is, let me ask you a question, my biggest fear is there are things in this world that we are holding on to because we have not become pilgrims, we are still, think of ourselves as locals. Let me ask you this question, is there something in your life that in any given second, God says, I want you to get rid of it, that you'd be hesitant to get rid of it? Think about it. Your house, today, God says, I want you to sell your house. Would you be hesitant? I want you to give, I want you to empty your bank account. Something like, "Mm." (laughs) It scares quarters. Uh, I want you, I, I want you to break up with this girl, break up with this guy because it's not healthy, it's not good. I want you to dive, dig into your marriage. It's hard. Dig in. I want you, I want you to give up this. I want you to give up. This. Is there anything in your life? Your car, your clothes. I want you to sell all your clothes, all your designer clothes that you wear on your Instagram stories because you're somebody. I want you to sell them all, not because somebody else needs them, but because they have a grip on you. Are you hesitant are you like I don't know I don't know if I could do that chances are if that's you if you're hesitant chances are you have made a home here somewhere in your life you are not fully operating as a pilgrim you're not seeing your life your eternal your home in a different place you've set up shop somewhere in your life that you're, you're holding on to something the Bible says when we just read, Abraham sees the kingdom. Let me ask you, we a whole statement, we have a statement we make, your home is where your heart is. I would change that and say your home is where your eyes are and where you're looking. If your eyes are here, if you're looking here, then you are going to operate here. If your eyes are in eternity, you're going to operate for eternity and your decisions are going to start making sense. Think about it this way. If you're trying to get to Canton, okay, I'm trying to get to Canton for me, which is weird. Nobody wants to get to Canton. Nothing good happens to Canton. Um, but, Let's just say I'm trying to get to Canton, okay, and I'm trying to get there the fastest way possible. Right? It would make sense if I turn out of this building, turn left, right. I'm turning left, going to the red light. Right? Yeah, that would make sense. I'm trying to get there the fast possible. Then at the red light, I turn, take do what? Go left, right? That makes sense, right? Because that's left. Then I jump on the highway, right? Get on the offer, And then I go 75 down, you know, the highway. And then I get to 40. If I'm going down downtown Canton. I jump on 40, go to the, get off the Canton exit. I'm right there as fast as I can. 75 miles per hour down the highway. That is how I get. That makes sense. It would not make sense if I'm trying to get, as a pilgrim, trying to get to Canton. That is my goal. That's my home. Canton is my home. It does not make sense if I take a right here. And then I take a left, and you're thinking, oh, maybe he's just got lost. He's gonna take a big UE and he's gonna go around the whole circle and come back this way. No. Then I go down Hazelwood, and then I go down Main Street, South Main Street, you know, take a left at the red light, get to Main Street, and start waving to people, stop at one of the knickknack stores, buy a little knickknack, and hang out, goof around, you know, and then I st- jump on the highway, go down Russ Avenue, jump on the highway, but I go towards Silva. Like it would not make sense. Those turns aren't making sense. My directions are not making sense. You see, we all say my home, my home is eternity. My home is, is a city whose maker and builder is, 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 is God. That's my home, but are the turns we're making here, is it making sense to that? We're all saying I'm headed home, but are, are your turns making sense? That make sense? Are your actions making sense? For those who say such things, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have, have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is heavenly, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. I love that statement. For he has prepared a city for them. So basically says if they would have looked back, if they would have had opportunity to look back, they would have had opportunity to go back. So basically what they're saying is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as they're wandering around the desert, they're not looking back at the Ur of the Chaldees. They're not looking back to their home. They're not thinking, Abraham, you pulled us out of this house. You pulled us out of our home. You took us out here for a blessing. You, know, you circumcised us. Um, and now we have no place to go. We should go back home. Right, that was the danger. That was what Israelites got caught for. Right, remember when when Moses pulled the Israelites out of Egypt? The, every time they had opportunity, they got caught, they got in trouble. What they do? They looked back and said, "We should have stayed in Egypt. We should have died in Egypt." And God said, "It's your lack of faith. Your lack of faith that's going to cause you not to get into the promised land." But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob they wandered around. They didn't look back. Because that's so easy to look back in the midst of the desert. It's so easy. I mean, how many of y'all you've been? You jumped into this Christian thing and you thought it was going to be a blessing, you thought it was going to be awesome, you thought you know, your life was going to be like you women, you thought, oh, God's going to send me this blessed husband who's going to be gorgeous and sexy, and, and it's going to be awesome, I've my job, I jump into this Christian faith, and then you marry this guy who's got a beer belly, and you know, just, but, it, but he's good, he's, he's a nice guy. I'm just kidding. That was my wife's story. Um, but in, But you have this idea of Christianity, but then you jump into this, and there's now you're fighting the flesh, right? Your flesh wants to do this. Your flesh wants to do that. Your flesh wants to do all this old stuff. You're fighting the flesh. You're fighting this battle of uh, of of the people that used to love that used to love you that used to get along with now hate you that don't want nothing to do with you. You don't get along with them. You have nothing in common with them. And it starts to get hard. And you're thinking to yourself, "Man, it was so much easier, looking back. It was so much easier before I became a Christian." Like, there are times where you could look back and you'd be tempted to look back. It was so much easier before I I put my faith in Jesus that I started following. When I was a local, when I was one of the people, when I was not controlled by God's commands, and I was out getting wasted, my own person, when I was out with the bars, I mean, I got along with people. There wasn't that struggle. There wasn't that tension. And there's that temptation to look back at the slavery. There's a temptation because sometimes it would be so much easier to be a local in this world. Am I right? I mean... Let's be honest. It would be easier to be a local in this world. That's their temptation. That's why we a lot of times cower back to want to be a local. It's like when you moved here. I moved here from California when I was younger, a kid. And I moved here, and I was the strange one. I mean, I couldn't understand a word anybody was saying. You learn all kinds of new words. You know, yons, yontu, fixing. You know, these words, and and these these phrases, man. uh, You know, uh, pretty as a peach. You know, you're as pretty as a peach. I'm like, who's pretty as a? Who, what's a? Why is a peach pretty? Or you're as mad as a hen, a wet hen. Like we talking about, and you, people would do this stuff, and it's like, you're like, I'm the strange one. Can't hear, I understand a lick of what you're saying, but I'm the weird one, um, and I'm the Yankee. I'm not even from New York. I'm West, but I'm still a Yankee. But anyways, so you you jump into this, and and in in Western North Carolina. Here's the deal: If you're not a local, you don't get treated right. You don't, you know, unless your great, 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 great grandmother owned land in Fines Creek, and your mind and your mom can spit twenty yards, chew tobacco. Like if you're, <laughs> like, unless that's your testimony, you're not a local, and and and, and you know, <laughs> mechanic shops will take advantage of you. I was actually at the mechanic shop this past week, and I was talking to the guy. I was listening to a conversation of the mechanic, and and they were like hey, um, okay, can you get this part? You know, And here's a country guy talking to another country guy. He's like, hey, can you get this part? He's like, yeah, for you, yeah, I can get this part real quick. And because I know some people, I could get it in. But for, for other people, no. And they were just right there talking about this. And so if you're not a local, you get I me. Mean, and, and also, you don't understand where things are. You don't understand the language. You don't have people. Because, you know, here, in, in any other place of the world, when you give somebody directions, you give somebody directions based off of where things are and, and where the actual building is. Here, you give directions based off of where things used to be. It's like, hey, go to the old Walmart and turn left, right? Where the old Daco used to be, you know? There used to be a tree there on the corner of a road that used to be there. And then there there, there was a squirrel that just hung out on that stump every day. Turn where that squirrel used to be. I mean, but, and I was thinking, you know, and that's ultimately, unless you are a local, you really don't get that treatment. But there's this temptation, y'all, to really, in reality, and in all truth, as a Christian, there's this temptation, man, to, to want that desire. I want to be like everybody else. I want to fit in. I want to be a local because I'll get treated right. I'll get treated kindly. I'll get treated well. But the Bible says, no, that's not you. It's not you anymore. And the more that we receive that and accept that and, um, and, and walk in that truth, the less we're going to be disappointed when the world sees us as strange and the less we're going to want to fight back when the world sees us as strange. Guys, embrace your weird. Seriously, embrace your weird. Some of y'all, like, you were weird before salvation, okay? So, but um, I'm talking about embrace your Christian weird, all right? Some of y'all could use some work, okay? But um, embrace your strange, because when you do, man, you don't care. You're walking in boldness and fullness of what God has called you to do, and you're not trying to please nobody. Stop trying to please the world. They're going to hell in a handbasket. They need people to stand on their faith and, and save them. They're blind, they're wretched, they're lost, and you are trying to please them to make them like you. Guys, they need you. They need the gospel, they need the light, they need the the truth shining through you. So embrace your weird, go out and live the gospel so that we can see people change through faith. Abraham, verse 17. Sorry. Um, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested offered up to isaac offered up to isaac he was received uh and he who had received the promises offered up the only begotten son. So this is weird it says i abraham had a, a son isaac but isaac was the only begotten son Now, this is not true right who is other isaac's other son ishmael right isaac had two sons ishmael ishmael was the descendant he if you pass the line a lineage it goes all the way to islam and it goes to the arabs and it goes to that whole population and that's why there's been this feud between joe between isaac and ishmael between islam and the jews right this is a family feud it it, it completely i mean it destroys what's that family feud in in the in the country uh the Hatfields and McCoys. I like it has nothing on the Hatfields. Our McCoys have nothing on this feud. Ishmael and Isaac, but Isaac was Abraham's firstborn through Hagar, right? And but the Bible says that is Isaac was for Abraham's first begotten son. Now this is interesting, and I in, in uh, Hebrews chapter one we talked about this. This is important. Listen, because the Jehovah's Witnesses and many other uh, uh, cults will point to Hebrews and say. Jesus was not God. He was created. He was God's first begotten son because Hebrews says so. Jesus was the begotten son, right? That means he's the first born, first created. That's what they say. The problem with that is when you look at this phrase in the Hebrew, in the, in the Greek, it is not a position, or it's not a condition, or it's not a time word, it is a positional word. It's the honored son. It's the promised son. It is the positional son. Remember, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Who was the firstborn? Esau, the first begotten son. But who was actually the first begotten son? Jacob. He was the promised son, right? He was the son of promise. It had nothing to do with birth, right? Or or birth. What? Quarter? Order. Order. I was like, that doesn't sound right. Quarter? Okay. Now, once again, Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael. Ishmael's born first. And Ishmael's older. It's not like Jacob and Esau, they were like twins. Ishmael's way older. Yet Jacob is still the first begotten son. Or Isaac is still the first begotten son. So just remember, it's not a condition or it's not a uh, order thing. It's a positional phrase that Isaac. So God says to Isaac, you're going to have Isaac. Abraham tries to take it in his own hands. Sarah's not looking too good. Says her "Her womb was dead. She's older. You're not producing for me, Sarah. So she goes to Hagar. Sarah's like, hey, go to Hagar, the servant. And so Abraham has, with Hagar, has a baby, Ishmael. I, God, Abraham goes to God, says, here's my baby. Here's the promised seed, Ishmael. And God's like, uh uh-uh, that ain't happening. You're gonna have one with Sarah. He finally has a baby with Sarah at a very, very old age. It shouldn't have happened. I don't know if you know biology. It shouldn't have worked. It does, okay? This is the promised seed. Numbers of the stars in the sky, the sand of the sea, all of that, all that falls on Isaac. He's the promised child. God tells Abraham, now, kill him. Sacrifice him to me. Do you know what the Bible says? It says Abraham got up early the next morning. Look, I got two little girls. And if God told me to sacrifice Octavia, I mean, Judah, she's starting to warm up on me, but Octavia, especially. J- Octavia is my baby. Like, that's, my, that's my little girl. That's my buddy. God said, hey, sacrifice Octavia if if i had enough strength to do it in faith i promise you i'm not getting up early like I promise you, I'm not getting up early. I'm not. I'm going to procrastinate. Like I don't even drink coffee, but I'm going to drink coffee for like four hours and say, "God, I'm just waking up." You know, folders in my cup. Like I'm just. I'm just trying to get my my oomph together by noon. Maybe we could go up the mountain. But it says Abraham got up early, did not waste time. Come on, Isaac. Come on, servants. They go. Uh, Abraham tells the servants, "Stay back." stay back and we're going to go up and make a sacrifice but listen to what abraham says and we will come down abraham says we're going up and we're coming down why did abraham say that it wasn't lying to the servants see abraham he was fully prepared to go up there and put a knife through his son as a sacrifice, knowing that Abraham or Isaac is the promised seed, that God is going to do miracles through Ab- or Isaac for a generation to come. And if God promised that, then the only other option that's going to have to happen is God is going to, to raise Isaac from the dead. And so we are going to go up, I am going to sacrifice him, and God is going to raise him from the dead, and we're coming down. That's the faith of Abraham. Now, remember, Isaac was not some little 12-year-old boy. We like like to get this idea of Isaac was this 12-year-old boy. Isaac was probably 30 to 33. So Isaac was my age. And I promise you, if my daddy lays me on the altar, I'm like, it ain't happening, bro. At this age, like, I mean, I'm not a boy anymore. I got some muscle. I can can overpower you. So it took faith of Isaac, too. Like, okay, Dad, do it. Do it. I'm ready. You know, he probably had some daddy issues afterwards. But, but right in that moment, the faith, here's the blessing. God stops him. He stops him because he says, I see that you fear the Lord. But here's the beautiful thing. Isaac, the age of 33, sacrifice. God stops him and says, no, I'm going to provide a lamb. I'm going to provide. I, it was Abraham says, God's going to provide the lamb for us, right, son? God's going to provide the lamb. God stops him, gives him a ram in the thicket, and he says, here's, the gonna, well, here's what's going to happen. Years later, years later, years later, on the same mountain, I'm going to take my 33-year-old son, and I'm going to put him on the cross as the perfect lamb. And this time, I'm not turning my eyes and I'm not saying, stop. This time he's gonna die. I said, what a, praise praise be to God. Praise be to God. The faith of Abraham, faith of Isaac. Let's keep going. We gotta rush through these guys. It's a lot, there's 40 verses. You guys, (laughs) 18. Um, Of whom, it was said, I promise it gets faster. Of whom, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, see so what we just talked about, even if he, even from the dead, from which he also received him, in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons and Joseph, and worshipped, leaning on the top of the staff. So it's just this idea, like by faith, they're just all looking for the city. They're all moving for the city. They're all looking for this. City, who's maker and builder by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Do you know where my mind goes right now as I'm looking at this picture? Do you know how close we are to getting to see this? Like, like I know I got like 20 chapters, verses left to go, but I, I want to stop here how close we are to seeing this. Like, look at, look at the world around you. If you look at Israel right now, they're, they're surrounded, you know, Russia. Russia's partnering with Iran. Do you know the significance of that? Uh, with Syria, and with Libya, you know the significance of that? Ezekiel? Gog in the land of Magog, you know where the land of Magog is? Russia. And then he talks about Persia and the different partners that's going to partner with Magog or Gog and Magog. Russia, first time ever in history with Iran, with Libya, with Syria, surrounding Israel. We're starting to see this this war starting to build, this anger. Once again, Palestine is starting to get... the resources that they need. We see Hezbollah starting waiting in the in the in the in the rise on the on the north. We start seeing them surrounded by these militaries, which is the Bible. Because we are seeing the Bible unfold. Did you know that the Bible predicted that Israel was going to be a nation again? It became a nation again in 1948. Did you know that before that it was actually a de- deserted land? And now now we're looking at Israel again, and they're producing. The Bible says they're going to produce fruit and crop to all over the world. Israel's producing and pushing fruit and crop all over the world. We're seeing the Bible unfold. If you are opening your eyes to world history, you're actually getting to watch the Bible. We are so close to that moment that Jesus comes down and puts his feet on Mount of Olives and the mountain cracks, water flows out of it. He walks down the the valley, the Hebron uh, Hebron Valley, and he sets up his kingdom for a thousand years. We're so close. We're going to get to see this. This is not going to be just a picture. It's not going to be just a a, a fairy tale. This is reality, and this is our future home. This is eternity right here. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. This is funny. Joseph, when he was dying, you know the story of Joseph, right? Joseph, he 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 knew the promise be- from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob was his daddy. Joseph was the son of Je- uh, one of the 12 sons. Joseph goes to, he gets sold into slavery. He goes to Egypt. He becomes second in command to Pharaoh. He interprets the dreams. He he interprets this dream of a of, of famine, and he saves all of the people of the world at this time, basically. And all of the uh, Israelites come up to him. All like So 70 of the Israelites at this point, so Abraham or Isaac, and Jacob, all the, the descendants, all the people that are alive, they come 70 in, 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 um, 70 in total and they sit in Egypt. Everything's going great in Egypt, but Joseph knows this is not my promised land. So Joseph says, when I die, when y'all get up and go, whenever it may be, take my bones with you. Take my bones with you. Pack them up, put them in your bag and take me to the promised land. Because Joseph knew God has promised this. We're gonna be there. It doesn't look like it now. We're gonna be there. Four hundred years later, Exodus happens. They get out of Egypt. They pack up his bones, and the heads of the Promised Land. What faith? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because he saw what it was beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. So by faith, you know, we all seen that the the the, the Um, what's that that movie cartoon prince of egypt where they they take moses and they put him in the basket and just throw him in the nile and see what happens right you know like that whole that's not what happened okay like we didn't just throw a baby that's that's neglection okay that's not good um they took no moses and they put him in the baby by faith they trusted god and they prayed and they took moses put him in the basket and they pushed him towards the pharaoh's daughter right they they knew what was going to take place they knew pharaoh's daughter was going to find him it wasn't just throw him in the water to see what happens and just follow all right, it's not a log. Okay, Moses isn't a log. But it was by faith that his mom and the midwives did this. By faith, Moses, when he became age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For, the look, for he looked to the reward. Did y'all just hear that? Moses had everything. He had all the riches, all the treasures. He says, by faith, I'm not, I, I'm giving it up. I'm giving it up. And, and Pharaoh and Moses, he goes out and for 40 years is out in the desert. And guys, and here's the truth. There will be times in our life where God is going to call us to do something for by faith that is harder than um, the, than, uh, basically, throw, let's just say it this way. Moses he could have very easily said you know what the, the Egyptians are going to be released or the, the, the Jewish people are going to be released through my position as a pharaoh or as a, a high in the pharaoh's court I could use my resources my position my my influence to actually release the Jewish people Moses could have very easily uh, justified sitting in this place to let his people go rather than going out and following God and not counting the riches of Egypt worthy, but taking on the reproach of Christ. Because there are times where God is going to say, it is easier for you to stay where you are. You have the resources, you have the funds, you have the money, but I'm calling you to step out on faith, to give it all up, to lay it all out, to trust me in the midst of the desert. That's what I'm calling you to do. And it's easier for us to justify and say, but God, but God, if I stay in this relationship, I could do more good. But God, if I, if I stay in this job and I make money and I make more money and more, more resources, if I the more money I make, if I stay here, then I could do more good in this. No, I'm calling you to take a step out. I'm, talking, I'm calling you to walk away. I'm calling you to, to take a leap of faith. To step out even when it doesn't make sense. By faith, he forsook. Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who, has, uh, who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkle of the blood, lest he who destroys the firstborn should touch them. By faith, he passed through the Red Sea uh, by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so were drowned. So I got, I'm just trying to rush through these guys, but here, listen to this. You know the story of Moses. He goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says no. He goes back and forth. No. Let my people go. No, let my people go. Eventually, Pharaoh lets his people go. Eventually, they go out. They take Joseph's bones. They go to the Red Sea. Joseph, Pharaoh, is. he's reminded. Maybe he's. he has a second thought. He's like, you know what? Maybe it wasn't God. Maybe God didn't really send the plagues. Maybe, you know, whatever. Whatever. He gets talked back into it. So his heart was hardened, and he starts chasing the Egyptians. He starts chasing the Israelites. They get to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. Israelites go through. Egyptians chase after them, they get drowned. But I want you to think about the, the faith of Moses here. Do you think Moses knew the, the Red Sea was going to part? Do you think that he knew that even like that's where he was going to head when he was in Egypt? Like this is this is the plan, this is the game plan? No, no, I, I was thinking about this. Moses is a pure example of operating from faith to faith. You see, Moses did not know the game plan was the Red Sea. Moses started with, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. One step of faith. God says, take off your sandals. Moses did. Okay, okay. Moses, here's what I want you to do. But God, I can't. Yes, you can. Go. And he does. And it's there. He has a snake. He has a staff. Turns into a snake. Then he goes to the blood. Then he goes to, you know, Change, do, do faith, to faith, to faith, the faith. It started with take off your sandals. You see, I, I was talking to somebody last week, and this is what got me thinking about this. So many of us want the Moses moments. Like, you want to see the Red Sea parted. You want to see your life change and walking in the power of Moses and Abraham and Isaac. You want to see the big stuff, right? How many of us want to see the big stuff in our life? But not many of us want to take off our sandals. We want to see. We want to see the Red Sea moments. We want to get God do something mighty through my life. Do something powerful through my life. Do something amazing in my life. I want to see you come through. I've got the faith to uh, to, to, to move mountains, God. I got the faith to to, to knock down giants. I'm like David. Like everybody, everybody wants to think we're like David, but not many of us have the faith to sit and say, God, I'm going to trust you with the small things and step out on faith with the small obedience. I was talking to somebody this week, and they were asking, they were talking about, God, I want to see how they wanted to see God do some things. And I said, look, one of my professors told me something a long time ago, and it has changed my life. And every time I'm not seeing the movement of God in my life, I ask myself the same question every single time. God, what do I know that God has called me to do that I have said no to? Because there's always something. There's always those little things that we know. God, God says, "Hey, I want you to, to, to obey me. I want you to give up this sin." God, I, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. But where's the Red Sea? I, I, I want you to obey me. I want you to, I want you to, to leave your job. Yeah, I'll, that's tough, God. I, I, let me work out some details. I'll get to that. But you know, where's the giant? God, I I, I know, I I, I need you to get rid of this addiction. God, I know you need me to get rid of this addiction, but I'm not not ready yet. Let's move forward in another thing. Give me another thing. I don't want to do that. I need you to stop this immorality. I need you to stop this lying. I need you to stop that. I need you to tell the truth. I need you to go do this. Every single one of us in this room knows that God has told you to do something. And we've all said, "Ah, no, 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 I don't want to do that. What's, What's next? Give me something else, God. What's my next step of faith? I I know I didn't take this step of faith, but give me another step of faith, and I'll take that one. Okay. And usually, if if you're like me, God gives you like two or three that you're not willing to do just to slap you in the face. Like, right? Like, just, not, I'm not, God's not like that. You know, but just to say, look, it's not about, you're not willing to step out of faith. So I want you to think about that. What has God called you to do right now? you've made excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. I don't want to do it. I'm not ready to give that up. I don't want to give up this addiction. I don't want to stop sleeping around. I don't want to stop doing, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to sell my stuff. I don't want to buy this. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. God, give me something else. Give me something else. We don't want to take the first step. Moses got to see mighty things because he took one step of faith after another step of faith after another step of faith. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they encircled the, uh, uh, for seven days. Guys, now hear this. We often diminish the faith that it took at Jericho. Like, like God's powerful thing, but we diminish the faith because listen, if you told me, hey, guys, I want you to march around uh, the city. Let's go. Let's go to North Korea. Everybody, let's just march around North Korea for um, seven days and it's going to fall. Seven days. Let's go. Who's going with me, right? On the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times and yell really loud. Like it takes faith. And, and, and yet they, that's what they do. They, they march around faithfully, faithfully, seven days, faithfully. Listen to the words that God gave to Joshua. And God brings the walls down by faith. The harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. So remember Rahab, she started off as a harlot and she became righteous through faith. Rahab hid the two spies. You know who Rahab is? Rahab had a son. Do you know who his son is? Boaz. Rahab was a harlot. She was a pagan. She was sleeping around with everybody. And God says, you know what? Through your faith, Rahab, I'm going to give you Boaz. You know who Boaz is? Boaz has a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son named David. And do you know who Dave is in the line of? Jesus. Jesus. God takes the faith of a prostitute and puts her in the line of Jesus. Because she she saw that God, the Yahweh, was greater than any God that they worship or any of their mighty armies. We're getting there. And by faith, and what shall we say? For the time would fail me to to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and uh, Jephthah, uh, Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promise, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the uh, the edge of the sword. And of weakness were made strong, became violent in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received the dead, raised uh, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now listen to me. There's some weird theology that comes out of Hebrews. Um, Sorry, I was just reading. I wasn't even pushing my buttons. Um, Sorry. There's some weird theology that comes out of Hebrews. We say, well, God can shut the mouth of the lions. God will shut the, in your faith, God will shut the mouth of your lions. Like, you'll have pastors say that, right? Yes, he can. If he calls you to the lions. God will. I love this one. What's your giants? God can defeat your giant. God wants you to go out and defeat your giants. Yes, God can defeat your giants if He's called you to it. But do you know what happens when when you're not called to the lions? Then you become lunch. Do, do you know what happens when when God is not calling you? When you when God's plan for you? So I'm trying to find when God's plan for you is not to do this, when God's plan for you is not to be rescued, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace, you know, uh, when God's plan for you to not survive is God has his will, God has his purpose, God's plan. Remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they said, God, we will uh, uh, Nero, we will not, or, or Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow down because God will save us, but listen even if he doesn't save us, we are walking in faith, with got to have that caveat that God is not always going to rescue you from the mouth of lions he is doing something greater he's doing something better I'm not going to stand up here and be a prosperity teacher and say every time you step out on faith the lion's mouths are going to shut no sometimes you will have to go through hell and back sometimes you will have to be burned Sometimes you will have to be beheaded. Sometimes you'll have to be sewn into an animal carcass and let wild animals eat you alive, put on a stick and let let Nero light you with his uh, garden. Sometimes you have to be like Polycarp and taken miles miles after miles after miles to be thrown on a stake, to be burned alive, and then having a spear stuck through you. That's sometimes how God gets his glory. But here's the blessing. We know, number one, this is in our home. Number two, that God is working all things out for his good, for our good and our his glory. Let me ask you, what greater thing in your life, what, what better thing is, is there in your life than to save somebody, to bring somebody to faith? Could you imagine, think about it, what better thing that you could name in your life than to say at the end of your life, even one person, because of me, that person is in, is in eternity. What 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 better thing could you do with your life, huh? Nothing, right? If you can name something, then we got an issue. And so let me think about. Let me ask you this way: Wouldn't you be willing and almost excited if you knew that through your death, somebody's going to come to salvation by watching your faith through your death? the way that you operated in faith as you were being tortured by the lions? Because that's what happened with all the Old Testament and the the New Testament saints. The New Testament saints, when they died, their death was a testimony for other people to say, man, they had faith. Their God was obviously the true God. They were stoned. Still sawn in two, right? This was Isaiah. Isaiah was sawn in two. This is the great Isaiah. You'd think Isaiah, if anybody's going to get a special rescuing. This is Isaiah. Gets sawn in two. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being uh, destitute, afflicted, tormented. Listen to this. Of whom the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the desert, the mountains and dens and caves in the earth. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. What promise is he talking about? He's talking about the promise of the coming Messiah. Not just the land, but they're talking about this new covenant, the promise. Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah 30. Uh, one talks about this this new covenant promise, this and he's, what, he, what the author's doing with the, the, the listeners of Hebrews is he's trying to encourage them to push all of these men and women who died in faith, who had faith, who had boldness. They operated in such faith, and they did not have the promise. And they still operated in such faith. You have the promise, so imagine what kind of faith you could have. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Imagine what, kind, what God can do through you. Imagine what could happen with you in the promise. They didn't even have the promise, and look what God did. Look what God did through their testimony. Verse 40, it says, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us better than us. So it's this idea on this side of the covenant. Guys, listen to this. My favorite Bible verses in James. James chapter five, it says, Elijah was a man just like me. You know what that means? It means when Elijah called down fire from heaven and the altar burned from heaven, Remember that story? Remember when Elijah cut off 450 prophets of Baal's head? That's what Elijah did. He, he, he prayed and it stopped raining. Somebody needs to do that in this house, okay? Uh, it says Elijah was just like me. It wasn't Elijah was awesome, so he was able to pray and things happened. It means that Elijah was just like me, meaning I am able to, just like Elijah to pray and for God to do mighty things. Why? Because it has nothing to do with me, it has nothing to do with Elijah. It's about God. This Hall of Fame, this, this idea, this, this chapter being the chapter of the Hall of Fame of faith, really is a bad title for this chapter because it's not about what mighty men and women did for God or what mighty men and women did in the history of the church. It's about, it's a, it's a whole chapter of what a powerful, mighty God we serve. And men and women who believe that, that's it. You know what faith is? It's believing that God is powerful. Faith is believing God, that God is who God is. And so I, I want to challenge us this morning. As we walk out of this chapter of faith, um, I really do want to challenge us this morning. That we start looking at our lives differently, that we stop seeing our lives as locals, as on this earth, but we start to look for the the kingdom, the city whose maker and builder is God. We start seeing our lives as eternal. We start, as I said last week, we are spiritual beings in a physical uh, uh, environment. We are not physical beings with a spirit that we actually are eternal. God created us. Now we're going to be eternally with him or eternally apart from him, but we are spiritual beings. So let's operate in the spirit and not in the flesh. Let's not set up shop here, but live for eternity. And therefore, let us walk out of these walls knowing that God is going to do mighty things today. Think about, what, what is your plan today? I, I know I, my plan on every Sunday is I'm going to uh, go home and I'm going to make a pizza and I'm going to have ice cream and I made cookies last night and then I'm passing out. That's my Sunday and that's my plan. And so like, I'm thinking, God could do mighty things today, not today because today's Sunday, right? Now let's believe, I don't care what I have, I pray that on the way home, God stops me. I pray that I become like Abraham that I'm able to see the the interruption. I pray that my day is not boring. I pray that my day is not wasted. I pray that my day is not a day that I say, I don't remember what happened uh, on February 20, whatever today is, 2021. Right? Let not another day go by that you don't remember what God did on that day. Because it was just another day, another day of work, another day with our family that we did nothing. We watched TV, we played video games, we sat on Instagram, we did this, we did this, we did this. Let every single day be a testimony, be a day where God does mighty, powerful things, whether it's through just a simple time of prayer with somebody at Ingalls, or it's a time where you've surrendered up your bank account to make blessing, uh, make have, give a blessing to somebody else, or it's a time that you literally packed up everything and moved somewhere else. Let's operate in faith. Let's stop wasting time, wasting our days and having days that we don't remember. Time is short. Before you know it, we're going to be in the eternal kingdom. And I promise you, much of what we do on this earth is not going to matter if we're living lives day after day after day of monotony. All of that will be burned up, but the things that we stored up in eternity will be the treasures of living for the kingdom, living for people to hear the gospel, living in faith.